Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. You talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. You talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh, feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another episode of Words and Nerds podcast where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears and I'm super excited about a guest and I'm super excited about a co-host who pops in whenever he's not doing anything more exciting. Today we have Adrian J. Beck in the co-host chair. How are you sunshine? I'm okay it's amazing that you don't hear from me more often because I don't actually do that much exciting stuff but I'm here tonight. <laughs> I wouldn't miss tonight's guest. Oh yes one of my absolute favorites Danny. Oh I know that's why when I said I think maybe you said are you interviewing Jacqueline or when I knew I was I was like Adrian I think you want to be in on this one so <laughs> he stopped doing the exciting things he does like vacuuming and towering up pizza boxes and here he is that's it that's it so I've, I've a quick break from the towering of picture pizza boxes <laughs> uh just to talk to one of my absolute faves Jacqueline Harvey so let's get into it now Jacqueline Harvey has had a passion for storytelling since she was just a child and she's worked as a teacher for many years before becoming one of the country's most beloved children's authors hello <laughs> what an introduction that's lovely he's not even finished yet like oh, no. this run sheet goes for days Jacqueline just about introducing you so kick back have a coffee put your feet up I'll go make a cup of tea Jacqueline is the author of the hugely popular Alice Miranda Clementine Rose and Kenzie and Max series which have sold over one and a half million copies hang on I'm just gonna repeat Ooh. that one and a half million copies oh, in Australia goodness. alone one and a half million copies in Australia alone what people I- it's amazing. <laughs> Plus, she just released That Cat, a picture book collab with a former student. Wow. She joins us tonight to talk about all sorts of things, but specifically her new series, Willa and Wolf, which just hit shelves and is already being devoured by young readers. Welcome to the podcast, Jacqueline Harvey. Oh, well, it's lovely to, uh, it's, it's lovely to speak to you both, Adrian and Danny. Um, I know you miss me, Adrian, because we don't get to do madcap television stuff together anymore, which uh, I miss so much, you know, bring back Kids WB. I know, yeah, I know. We had a lot of fun. I particularly remember fondly two things. One, when uh, 
uh, you're at the MCG on some sort of spy hunt, I think. Yes. And um, I turned up, I was trying to dress like a spy, but <laughs> you, you kind of felt that maybe I looked a little bit more... Yeah, oh. on and you were slightly creepy. I was waiting oh. for the world sweets to come out of Interesting. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I, I misjudged the co- the costume department, uh, the brief there. But the, wow. And then the other thing that I loved is we did a lot of karaoke with Jacqueline Harvey back on the TV oh, show. Oh, karaoke. And Jacqueline Harvey has the voice of an angel. Don't oh, no, worry I about don't. that. And what, <laughs> no, what's your go-to no. song, Jacqueline? What's your go-to I don't, song? Well, none at the moment because oh. I've had laryngitis for about <laughs> You have that real sexy throaty sort of voice. I've got a very husky voice at the moment. I just recorded a book a couple of weeks ago, so um, I was a little bit concerned that the book was going to be very husky. And my (laughs) sound engineer, Jason, said, um, he said to me, it's okay, just don't get better in the next few days because (laughs) it will sound exactly the same the whole way through. I love that. It was Alice Miranda in Egypt, so I, I sort of thought, well, I could have been in a sandstorm. I'm in Egypt and I have a really bad throat. Uh, Willer and Wolf, which I've got, beautiful book. I love the feel of it. I love the feel of books, particularly ones that are nice and light and beautiful like this one. Um, tell us about Willer and Wolf. Give us an elevator pitch. Okay, well, Willa and Wolf is about a little girl called Willa Tate, who is eight years old. She has three best friends. She has her best four-legged friend, who is her dog, Wolf, who's an albino Irish wolfhound. Uh, she has her best same-age friend, the little boy who lives across the road called Tajin Miller, and her best old-age friend is a fellow called Frank Pickles, who lives in the retirement village called Sunset Views, which is right next door to Willa's house. And it's about the, the sort of adventures she has in her neighbourhood and things that uh, that go wrong for Willa and the ways that she tries to fix them. <laughs> yes, like missing pigeons and things like Missing that. pigeons, that's right. So, yeah, in the first book, um, Frank, uh, it's revealed that Frank is a pigeon fancier and he used to have a lot of pigeons, over 50 of them, and now he's only got one left. And his pigeon is a beloved, uh, a, a beloved bird called Mimi. And we find out very early on that Mimi is missing and Willa thinks that it's all her fault. Mm. So uh, she sets about trying to uh, bring the bird home and find the bird. And so there's a lot of uh, adventures that she has in that process. She does lots of, lots of hilarious adventures. She's very tenacious, Willa. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think she's, um, she's really fun. It's the first time I've written a book in first person. And so um, having, you know, it's really important that that voice was accessible and you know, it's it's that it's got to stand the desert island test. You know, if you couldn't stand to be on a desert island with her for more than five minutes, then it's not going to fly as a story. But I think uh, from the feedback I've had so far, kids and and adults are really enjoying. You know, her uh, just the the way that she I guess behaves and and the, her her take on life. Mm, absolutely. My family was on a trip in 2020. Uh, during one of those, you know, brief escapes from lockdown. And we went to Orange on a family holiday and uh, we went to a place called Ofa, which is the first site of, I think that was the first place gold was found in Australia. And it's Mm. really, you know, it's just in the bush. There's a whole lot of old mines and things there. Anyway, I was walking through the bush with my niece and this great big white dog with a blue coat bounded out of the bush and uh, it was an albino Irish wolfhound and his name was Kevin and uh, it was embroidered on his coat and he was the most gorgeous dog and he was so happy and I immediately thought that's the dog that Willa's going to have. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got the name on his coat as well, which is kind of cool. Uh, So did, did this idea sort of arrive fully formed? 
Jacqueline, or did it go through a few iterations? Um, I think, well, I, I mean, Willow was really, I, the whole story, the, the whole sort of concept is a, it's probably the closest thing to my life as a child that I've ever written. So, you know, um, the thing about living next door to a retirement village, when I was a little girl, my, my grandmother was uh, in charge of the ladies' auxiliary of the Masonic Homes at Glenfield, uh, which was a big retirement and nursing home. And Sounds she, posh. Um, it wasn't particularly posh, but it was huge. Right. And uh, I often used to go with her in the school holidays or on, you know, weekends, and she'd take me out to help her. And I just loved going around and, you know, talking to the to the elderly residents. And so that sort of thing has always been part of my life. And then when I became a teacher, I used to take kids from the school. Every week we had a like a community service roster and we would go to one of the nursing homes in, in Bowral. And so... I don't know, that part of it, I, I wanted it to be an intergenerational uh, story. So yeah. I wanted there to be, you know, old people, parents, younger people, you know, just so that, and, and one of Willa's real things is that she says there's no rules about friends. You can be friends with, you know, young people and older people and you can have four-legged friends too. Hmm. That's what I loved about the story when, you know, she described her three best friends and I thought how diverse they were. One's not even human. Yeah. Um, and I like that age barrier because I think we often, um, you know, stereotype people of particular ages. And I like how her friend, you know, then accepts Frank as well in the end. So that's a really cool thing. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that, you know, Frank is very old and very grumpy and she describes him as such. Um, <laughs> but I love that there's that. You know, there's that sort of gruffness with him, but you just know that he adores her and she adores him. You know, she doesn't let his uh, his bad uh, temper at times, or not, not temper, he doesn't have a bad temper, but his, his bad moods get in the way of their friendship. Mm -hmm. And it's like she sees, sees you know, all that good in him because she said, oh, it, takes, it doesn't take long for him to, you know, laugh at my jokes. <laughs> to warm up. Yeah, to exactly. warm up. <laughs> and even things like when she, you know, the fact that she goes over there really early in the mornings before school sometimes. Um, so when I was when I was Willa's age, my, um, my grandparents lived in Fairfield and my great-grandparents lived in a flat down the back of their house. And so I would get up really early if I was staying at Grandma and Poppy's and I would go down to my great grandparents' house down the back, and my great grandmother would make me sweet cups of tea and um, cracker biscuits with peanut butter, which is what <laughs> I mentioned in the story as well. So, yeah, there's really a lot of my childhood in this book. Mm. I love that. Now, I wanted to ask because this is the closest book, you know, you to your life. Is that why you wrote it in first person, or did that was that a happy accident? I don't know. Maybe, maybe that subconsciously that's why I did. I don't. I don't really know. But I. I when I was thinking about Willa's voice, um, yeah, it just it seemed like it was easiest to write this in first person, mm. and for it, for it to have this immediacy. You come up. You've got a great knack for coming up with great character names, like and and great titles as well. Willa and Wolf. Did you have that from the word go, or did you have? Was there a bit of brainstorming involved? No, I. Yeah, I wanted it to be um, alliterative. I wanted it to be, you know, so I, I probably thought of a few different names. To begin with, um, to begin with, Wolf was actually going to be Frank's name and he was going oh. to be, he was going to be Wilfred and um, Wolf was going to be, you know, Frank. And then we decided that it was probably too confusing for the young readership <laughs> to have, you know, Frank. Anyway, so so then we decided to make 
the, the dog more front and centre and so that's how Willa and Wolf came about. So it was always going to be Willa. I don't know why. I just liked Willa. I actually had a, I had a really big Alice Miranda fan years ago. Um, she was super keen on Alice Miranda and I remember she had a sister who went to the school that I taught but she went to a different school and her name was Willa and I always remembered what a sweet little girl she was and I thought, you know, it's a really nice name. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So if you've ever been taught by Jacqueline over the years and your name pops up in a book, then usually it means you're a, a nice, sweet student, unless, of course, you're the baddie, I, I was about to say, unless you're the villain, then right. you may not have clicked. That's right. Yeah. And then it must just be a complete coincidence, I guess. Oh, then it's absolutely it's a complete coincidence. There's no, there's no uh, yeah, there's there's nothing based in fact there at all. Absolutely not. We'll back you 100%. That's right. And I also love how you're, you, you're, I mean, you've got a great partnership with Kate Isabel Scott, obviously with the, the fantastic That Cat and More to Come. Yep. But you've also, for your um for your older books, you've had a long-time partnership with Anne Yee. Um, yeah. What I wonder what is it about her work that you love? I mean, what I love is it just looks so classic. When you're looking at it, it just, you could, it's just timeless. Uh, yeah, I think um, it's, it's really interesting the relationship that I have with Anne because we never actually met each other until we've done 14 books together. Wow, and, that's uh, cool. We, uh, Anne, Anne is very shy. She's incredibly talented. Uh, she's actually an animator by her first profession was as an animator. And uh, we just never met because the publisher would organise, you know, all of the covers and they would talk to Anne and Anne would talk to them and, and they'd talk to me. And we finally did meet at the launch of Alice Miranda in Paris. Um, so it was quite a ways into, because we had Alice Miranda and we had Clementine Rose by that stage. And um, when I met Anne, she's just the most gorgeous, lovely person. She's, um, but as I said, quite shy. And she did come to one huge high tea event with me and she was sort of sitting on the main table with uh, with a friend and with my family. And I said when I went up on stage, can I tell them that you're here? And she said no. <laughs> um, so, so she was there completely quietly. Oh, I love that. Um, but, yeah, she's incredibly clever. I love that. Um, so for when the very first book that we ever did, Alice Miranda at School, I, ha I really had in mind, in my mind, what the character would look like. And when she sent the first rough draft, it was pretty much bang on. I just yeah. thought, wow, this is incredible. Like she just gets it. Mm. And then with, you know, with Clemmy and Kenzie and Max, but now with with Willa, there's a lot more illustrations because the book has um, quite a lot of illustrations inside. It's um, and I mean, some of them are just that. I mean, all of them are brilliant, but there are some that I just. You know, I get sent the illustrations and I sit at my computer and just laugh. Oh, I totally this... get, you know, the um, yeah. expressions on Wolf's face <laughs> and the expressions on, you know, Mrs. Wilson, the horrible lady that runs uh, Sunset View's retirement village and, and her caterpillar eyebrows called Burton Hilda, <laughs> or the Wheeler calls Burton Hilda. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think Anne absolutely gets it. She's, uh, she's so clever. Yeah. And how you can good tell is she's it? having fun when she's doing it too. Yeah, there's a real sense of whimsy in this in these illustrations, in particular. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, and I feel very fortunate that you know we've worked together now on this is our fourth series that we're working together. So wow. it's, um, it's really nice to have that you know that partnership. And um, unusual. And it's unusual. Yeah, it is unusual. It, it is yeah. um, absolutely. And uh, you know to have that partnership with Anne on the the chapter books. And then to now be working with Kate Isabel Scott, who I taught in kindergarten and year four. My um, goodness. And 
I know it's just um it's just so funny we were we were out together in Melbourne uh, last week and um honestly I see her and it's it's like I just we we just pick up from where we left off and uh you know when we when we were promoting that cat earlier in the year we were driving through Barrel which is I taught Kate in at the school in Mittagong and um we're driving through Barrel and Kate said, it's just like when you used to take us to the, the nursing home on a Thursday afternoon. Remember we used to go to Sandry's Cake Shop and buy, used to buy us custard tarts on the way. And so she said, I feel like it's, it's just the same as that, but now I'm just a grown-up. So. <laughs> did you buy her custard tarts? I mean, that's the key question. I did. I used to buy the kids. I used to buy all the kids like custard. Well, there was a, there was a cake shop in Barrel called Sandry's that had the best custard tarts in the world. And I remember when Mrs. Sandry told us they were closing down, I was devastated. <laughs> so. That's the kind of teacher you need, one that yeah. buys you custard tarts on the way to wherever it is you're going. I mean, that's I've never the key, had a teacher that, that was that good. I mean, sure, some of them were inspiring, yeah, but they didn't give me custard tarts. But that's because <laughs> you had a backpack full of custard tarts, Adrian. <laughs> yeah. They thought I'd had enough, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Now, talking about you being a former teacher, I mean, how much does this this help? must help enormously, you know, with book week and school visits and presentations. So having the experience as a teacher and, you know, your really successful career as an author, what makes a, a really good, effective, engaging presentation when you merge all those things together? Okay, so my my take on school presentations is that I want the kids to I, I want the kids to laugh and and enjoy the stories, but I want them to learn something as well, and I want them to have something to take away. I want the teachers to be sitting there thinking, yes, you know, that's a that's a great idea for the next time we write a story, or that's you know that's a great idea for editing, or you know. So I try and make sure that there's um, you know, there's an educational aspect to the talk as well. And I think teachers really appreciate that. And I know that when I was teaching, we I always appreciated it when the author, yes, entertained the children, but also gave them some tips. Mm. Um, because, and the other thing is, I suppose, because I was a teacher for such a long time, I um, I like to pride myself on never losing control of a group. <laughs> and, uh, yes. I can uh, I can silence a uh, silence a crowd with a you know hairy eyeball, um, <laughs> with a, a death stare if you like. Um, so yeah, I think it's it actually is really helpful for crowd control and that sort of thing to know a whole bunch of different you know techniques. You have a you have a lot of a lot of things in your backpack that you can use, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that really works. Um, you know for for presentations. Yeah. So you're going to have fun, you're going to learn something, and don't talk out of turn because Jacqueline will give you that eyeball. Yeah, right? exactly. you've been warned. I'll give you a death stare. That's exactly you've right. been warned. <laughs> but if you're good, you'll get a custard tart. Like it's full winning. No, you can't lose, really. You can't lose, can you? Now, you're the, uh, speaking of presentations and kids and schools and all that sort of stuff, you are the current reigning Somerset Story Fest patron. Yes, I know. What an honour. What an incredible honour. Actually, it's funny, that story, because um, when the email came from Andrea Lewis, uh, there was an email, you know, pinged into my box and it said StoryFest patron. And I looked at it and I sort of, um, I looked at it and thought, oh, there must be a new patron for StoryFest. I'll look at that after I make a cup of tea. And I went downstairs and made a cup of tea and went back upstairs and and then I opened it and I was like, oh, it's me. <laughs> so, 
I was so excited. I think I rang Andrea in a split second. I was like, I can't believe it's me. So um, how does that happen? Tell me about the process since you didn't there was, know. There I, was... Well, I didn't know. They just asked me, Andrea just asked me if I would, uh, you know, if I would agree to be the patron for the next three years. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's a huge honour. Yeah. Uh, well, Somerset, as it began, um, the Somerset Celebration of Literature, which was, uh, you know, what started at the Somerset College at Mudrava. Um, you know, next year, that festival is 30 years old next year. Which oh, is that's special. Um, mm. Very special. And four years ago, they um, they changed to StoryFest. And so what Story StoryFest is a, not pro, a not-for-profit organisation now that has the capacity for a far greater reach. So, you know, they're able to go into community, you know, com- other communities, other areas. Hence, we've just done our first story fest out west in Longreach. Longreach, yeah. Unbelievable. You know, to have uh, over a 1,000 kids come in from, some kids drove 14 hours to come <sighs> to the festival. Wow. You wow. Know, to, my, my two little helpers, Lucy and Grace, you know, they both lived about four or five hours away. Um, Hope they got a custard tart. <laughs> Oh, I sent them some presents today, actually. So I, <laughs> okay. uh, I hope that they'll get uh, they get a surprise. Um, but yeah, it's it, to have that reach and for kids in the bush to meet authors and illustrators and storytellers and poets, um, you could just see what a huge impact it had on the children. And I think you know, as much as it had an impact on them, going to Longreach had a huge impact on all of us too. Mm, yeah, it, uh, it was just so exciting. And uh, we're Andrea and I are taking Storyfest to uh, to Queenstown, New Zealand. Ooh, Ooh. So going international! We're wow. going international. That's cool. That <laughs> so, I love yeah, that. It's very exciting, and uh, yeah, just you know the whole thing about kids and reading and getting books to the children who need them most, and giving opportunities to children who don't get a lot of um, you know opportunities to meet authors or to um, you know to have books. That's what Storyfest is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Andrea just does and her team, they do just a magnificent job. And there's just, it's just such a celebration. The minute you turn up, the minute you leave, there is just this celebration of books and authors and people and love of literature. It's just 24 hours. Seriously, I thought I had a lot of energy until I met Andrea. Yeah, no, she's an absolute dynamo. I mean, she organised a book launch for Willow and Wolf at Longreach. And, you know, we had a we had a full sort of play going on with two little girls that were dressed as um, one was Willow, one was Tay. They had they had a bird in a cage. They had you know they had the whole nine yards. It was oh we had even had a dog. Wow. Um, so we had little Milo who was uh, Milo who was a tiny little dog who was pretending to be a very big dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, you've got so much going on. You're the Storyfest patron, as we as we just touched on. You're, but you're um, also doing a lot of touring all around the country, anyway, and promotions and all that sort of stuff. It's amazing you get any time to write. But the thing is, you write so many books a year. How many uh, how many words do you have? You ever thought of that? Added this up? How many words do you reckon you actually get written across the course of a year? Um... Well, if you said there was like so in the in the prime when it was two Alice Miranda's and three. Well, three Clemmies, that's like 60,000 words. Two Alice Randers, that's 120,000 words. So it was probably around about 180,000 words a year um, <laughs> during that time. And now it's more likely to be, uh, you know, two Kenzie and Max, or no, one Kenzie and Max and one Alice Miranda. And then Willa is um, 
Uh, I'm loving writing Willow. It's ten and a half thousand words. Like, <laughs> Feels um, like a holiday. You can write eighteen <laughs> of those a year, Jacqueline. Oh, it's just fantastic. So yeah, I, I mean, I have been consistently writing over one hundred and fifty thousand words a year for probably nearly what ten years. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. So, what's the process look like to to get to get through that much work? which is a heck of a lot of words. Do you, are you very disciplined? Are you sort of like a nine to five sort of operator? Yeah, I'm extremely, I have to be extremely disciplined. So I, I basically tell people I live and die by the Outlook calendar. Um, so I, I'll work out, you know, how many weeks I've got to write a book, um, how many words I need to get done each week to meet that deadline. I try and, you know, it, it's really hard. When you're touring as well, it's really hard to write at the same time as all of you would know. Um, so... You know, when I go back to New Zealand, I'm going to go back to New Zealand in the beginning of September and I've got about five weeks, I think, to write about 40,000 words mm. <laughs> um, or maybe 50,000 words. So so for me, 10,000 words a week is pretty regular. And I, I try and go to the gym in the morning and then be at my desk by 10 and then write until 6. That's how mm. it usually goes. Mm. <laughs> very disciplined i would fall over at the first turtle there go to the gym what's the gym <laughs> well, i haven't been for i haven't been for a couple of months because i i had covid and then i haven't recovered as well as i would have liked from oh. covid so i've been um been off the gym but i'm planning to hit it again when i get back home <laughs> so <laughs> Well, look out, New Zealand. Look yeah, out. She's, she's coming. coming and, and I'm planning to go skiing every Monday as well. And uh, Every yeah. Monday? Oh. Yeah. yeah. And, and trout fishing? You're still trout fishing, Jackie? Yeah, I still, uh, yeah, I, I um, in the summertime we were fishing a bit. Still um, my catching has been pretty minimal. Although, no, I, actually, I lie. We went on a fantastic trip to a place called Dusky Sound, which is really inaccessible. It's there's sort of Milford Sound, Dapple Sound, then Dusky Sound. And uh, we had to fly in, a, in on a helicopter and we were on a boat for four days and I caught the biggest blue cod that our friends had ever seen, which was I, I kept catching blue cod after blue cod after blue cod to the point where our friend's daughter said, that's my rod, can I have it back? <laughs> so it, was like, it, was, it was the magic fishing rod that, you know, and then I whispered to our friend, uh, to, to our friend that my husband had never caught a fish before because he's not a fisherman. And uh, so right on cue, we ended up in the middle of this huge school of tuna and my husband caught an enormous bluefin tuna, the first fish wow. he's only ever caught, ever caught in his wow. life. Wow. And everybody's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Are you going to go back? And he said, no, I'm one and done now. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't top that, so he's just got to retire. No, it was fantastic, and we had uh, we had tuna sashimi for days. Wow, that's very impressive. <laughs> very impressive. Very now, impressive. I, I can of- imagine... I can imagine him with the bluefin. <laughs> I can just imagine him on the edge of the boat. Just I know, expensive. you know, and he's got this fantastic photo of him holding this huge bluefin tuna. I caught one too, but mine, mine got, uh, mine got off just before it. Got oh, on the boat. really? That yeah. must have been the one that got away. Oh, no, it was the one that got away. Devastating. And yet, yet the newbie is reeling the huge tuna in. Yep. Great he story. Did. I love it. While we're on the topic of animals, um, you know, tuna sashimi. Um, why pigeons? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I put a picture in this book. I was just, I was sort of thinking of, um, I don't know, um, 
Yeah, the, the pigeon fancying thing just kind of hit me one day that I just thought, I've never actually hung out with anybody who's a pigeon fancier. <laughs> um, but um, who was the cricketer that had... Um, oh, Bill, Bill Laurie. Laurie. Bill Laurie used to have pigeons. Maybe yes. I was thinking of, of channeling Bill Laurie and his pigeons. <laughs> I was trying um, to think, you know, I'm not a pigeon fancier, but I was really curious as to know what... What is lovable about a pigeon? So did you do some research about pigeons? I did, did you do a lot. I did a lot of research. Find them lovable? And they actually, um, so racing pigeons mate for life. Mm-hmm. And that that was where I got the storyline of, you know, Mimi's gone missing and then the bird that the kids actually find is Norman, her long-lost husband, um, <laughs> who, can't reti- who returns with one leg. And the kids think, oh, no, his you know, leg's been bitten off by a shark or, you know, survived some horrific attack. Um so yeah, there were things to um you know to like about pigeons because you know I'm not overly partial to pigeons when you're you know in I remember being in uh, in Milan in the uh, right outside the Duomo in Milan and you know there were just pigeons everywhere and some guy came and um, put a bunch of bird seed in my hand and I ended up with pigeons all over me. I was like, get them off! <laughs> so you weren't too scarred though because we've got this no. likable pigeon in here so. yeah there's a very likable pigeon in here and, and i did do research about pigeon racing and uh and how phenomenally expensive those birds can be you know yeah. there's people who have paid millions of dollars for racing millions. pigeons I'm not kidding. Like, I just thought that is insane, but it's true. Wow. I feel like going out there and rounding a few up and making a quick buck. (laughs) Just sit down to Fed Square and get yourself some. (laughs) You like it. So uh, after writing this whole story, is this something that you you and and perhaps your husband might like to get involved in in New Zealand, perhaps a a pigeon coop out the back or something? No, no, we have a cat. Uh, We have that Ah. cat, actually. We have that that cat. cat And he... uh, Yes, he's not partial to any. Uh, he's he's not um, he's not the cat in the story. In uh, there's a cat in the story called Ginger Biscuit, who I describe as being a serial killer. Mm. And uh, Ginger Biscuit <laughs> kills you know rats and mice and birds. <laughs> and so obviously Mimi's in danger from Ginger Biscuit. But uh, no, I think uh, no, I think that the birds are best left in other people's hands. In I the sky. Just left free, flying around in the sky, exactly. stealing your chips at the beach. Exactly. <laughs> Well, one thing is, though, you do include a lot of animals in your books, which I love. My personal favourite, I think you could probably guess what my personal favourite is. Uh, it's <laughs> actually, see, can you guess what my, what my favourite is, do you think, Jackie? <laughs> uh, well, I'm thinking Bonaparte. No, not, <laughs> no. not Alfred's horse. No. no, I can't go past Lavender, the pig from Oh, Lavender, the pig, yes, yeah. Uh, look, I mean... I don't know where I got, I do know where I got the idea from. We were having a meeting about um, me writing a book for younger kids and uh, um, I, I was trying to think of a pet that Clementine could have and I thought originally I was, she was going to have a goose or a duck and I thought, yeah. oh, they don't live long enough. And so, <laughs> um, it was my publisher at the time, Lindsay Knight, who said, oh, what about a teacup pig? And I said, what's that? And quickly Googled it on my phone and then uh, that's how we ended up with the teacup pig. But um we, um, friends of ours in New Zealand recently had a pig, a piglet, uh, called Mary, and she was the cutest little thing you've ever seen when she was small, and she would run in and out of the doggy door and chase the dogs and chase the cat, and then she got to be so big that she just about took out the entire door. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the doggy door. So. <laughs> a piggy door. Uh, yeah, uh, so, so, so Mary ended up going to live on a bigger farm. 
Oh, <laughs> did you say farm with like those inverted commas? No, no, no. She, actually, she didn't. She didn't go to that kind of. Farm. Okay. She actually went to live somewhere nice. Okay, that's so lovely. Do you, do you think animals are a key ingredient in um in children's books? Oh, look, I think, um, I mean, for me, it certainly works. I, I like the fact that, you know, kids love animals generally yeah. and, and it's, um, I guess it just gives another dimension to the story. You know, even in Kensington Max, their grandmother has two um, uh, two dogs called Wellington and Macintosh and, you know, they, they don't feature really heavily in the stories but they're always sort of there in the background and, you know, the kids take them for a walk and that sort of mm. thing. Mm. Um, you know, in Clementine Rose, we had the pig, but we also have Aunt Violet's Sphinx cat. And, uh, you know, kids kids kind of sort of look at that. When I put a picture of a Sphinx cat on screen when I'm in presentation, they, ooh. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but then I had a little girl the other day tell me that she has one and she adores him. So, yeah. Um, yeah I, is that I think... like Dr. Evil's cat? Is that what a Sphinx yes, cat is? Yeah. yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, um... they're a good-looking good animal. <laughs> <laughs> they're good if you have allergies. I was about to say that. You just, yeah. I don't want to yeah. say you don't want to look at them because I'm sure people think they're beautiful. Yeah, no, they're a good <laughs> allergy cat. Um, but, yeah, I think, I mean, lots of, if you think about it, there are many, many children's books that feature animals. And, yeah. you know, and for me, we, we always grew up with animals and, you know, I had a horse growing up and hence Alice Miranda has a naughty pony. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's something kids identify with or often they, they aspire to have yeah. the pet. Now, we have this wonderful opportunity to have Jacqueline Harvey on the podcast. So this is what I like to do when I get to, when I get involved in Danny's podcast is I like to put people under oh, the pump and I like to find out some top secret information, some sort of, you scoop. know, behind the scenes sort of stuff that hasn't come out anywhere else. Yep. Scoops, that's okay. right. So Jacqueline Harvey, what can you tell us about the books that are uh, in the pipeline that you're, uh, you're going to be releasing soon? Have you got anything uh, that you can reveal to us exclusively on the podcast? Well, I can, I can certainly tell you what's coming. Um, there's a Willer and Wolf number two called Birthday Ooh, Business. Yes. Birthday um, Business. Is, uh, birthday Business. Willer, Willer and Tay, her best same age friend, they, um, uh, because... The horrible lady who runs the retirement village, Mrs. Wilson, has gone on long service leave. So her second in charge, Mr. Baba, who is a lovely man, he um, he has decided that uh, Wolf can be the support dog for the retirement village. And so when they're off to do their training, they're in the staff room at the retirement village, and there's a big birthday chart like there is in you know like we have in school on the on the wall. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Willa and uh, Willa realizes that Frank is having a big birthday, and she she points it out to Tay, and she says, "Look." And Tay goes, wow, Frank is ancient. And Willa says, well, he's not as old as I thought, as I thought he was. She thought he was turning 100, but he's only turning 80. Anyway, um, it says under, under his name, no fuss. And uh, she says, well, that can't be right because everyone loves a fuss on their birthday. And so, of course, she sets about uh, organising a surprise party for Frank. Um, so that one will hit the shops at the beginning of October. And then we've got another uh, Willa book, uh, Grandparents for Hire, coming in January next year, yeah. which is all about Grandparents Day and how Willa solves the problem of all the kids that are upset because their grandparents, you know, don't don't live near them or that perhaps their grandparents have passed away or as one kid says in the class, she doesn't hear, she doesn't see who it is, but she said, and one of the kids said, my granddad's in the big house. I didn't see what, the, I didn't see how that was a problem until Tay explained that that's what grown-ups sometimes say when they mean prison. Anyway, so she, um, she sets about, uh, she, she sets about uh, creating a business 
called Grandparents for Hire. And so she um, she hires all the grandparents from Sunset Views, all the oldies from Sunset Views as standing grandparents for all the kids. Oh, I love that. That's really cute. Um, that sounds yeah, like a Hollywood that movie. That one's coming in, uh, yeah, that's January. And then I have written number four and I can't, we've, we've only just given it a title and I can't even think what it is because um, <laughs> that's, that's just happened today. Um and the, I think that comes out about another three months later. And then I've got a picture book coming out next year. I think that's in March with Kate. And it's called The Daring Tale of Gloria the Great, which is about a chicken. <laughs> and it's about a chicken who goes missing right before Christmas. And uh, it's, it's a good time found... to go missing, actually. Yeah, I for a chicken. Well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. Well, she's found some weeks later. It's actually based on a true story of uh, some friends of mine in New Zealand who had a chicken that went missing right before Christmas. And the chicken was found. Um, they thought that the, the hawk or the, the falcon, there's, there's a lot of hawks and falcons near where we are. And uh, our friends thought that the, the um, hawk had got the chicken. And uh, then when... Abby went to put the Christmas decorations away under the house. She heard this. <laughs> and the chicken had been under the house for about five weeks. Oh, no. And it was like eating bugs and it was a bit crazy. Oh, and so, dear. Um, it's kind of, and, and I said to Abby at the time, does this chook have a name? And she said, no. And I, it just, this popped into my head. Um, I will not falter. I will survive. My name is Gloria and I am alive. <laughs> that's a line. That's a couple of lines from the story. So, um, so her name is Gloria, obviously like Gloria Gaynor. I will survive. That's survive a chicken. Um, so yeah, that's coming out early in the year. And she- then I'm doing, oh, Kenzie and Max, um, number 10, which will wow. come out in May. Uh, and that is the, that is the last book in the Kenzie and Max series for the moment. So that's going to wrap up a lot of the ongoing mysteries. And yeah. uh, it's called Time's Up, which I think is really appropriate yeah. for the last book um, in the series. And uh, I'm working on that one at the moment. Uh, that's the one I have to write really fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> time's and up. Then next, yeah, time's up for me too. And uh, and at the end, towards the end of next year, I've got an Alice Miranda Christmas story coming out. Oh, gosh. So at some point, are you, are you planning on sort of having a break at some point? I mean, the, oh, the, so. the, the, the skiing and the fishing is looking unlikely. I know. So I have to be fitting that in around all the, the hectic schedule. I, I feel quite good because I've written four um, four of Willa's books already. Mm-hmm. So there's only another two to write for them for next year. And uh, if I, you know, once I get this Kenzie and Max done, I'll be I'll be feeling good. And then it'll be the Alice Miranda that I have to, you know, focus mm. on. So uh, yeah, in, in terms of that outlook calendar, it will be very busy and detailed. That is an amazing body of work that you already have and an amazing body of work coming up. So it's super exciting. Question I ask all my guests, Jacqueline, I've, I've asked you this before, so I just added a little word into it when I've asked you before because it does evolve, this answer, I reckon. So why do you keep writing? Oh, I just love it. I I always, you know, I'm never lost for an idea. I've always got 100 stories in my head. There's just not enough time in the day to do as much as I would really, you know, as, as I'd like I'd like to do more. You know, I um I sat down at my computer the other day and I tapped out the first paragraph of what could potentially be an adult novel and uh, I thought, oh, oh, this is fun. Like this is a really, you know, I'd want to read this. If, if I read these first couple of paragraphs, I'd want to read this story. And I think... You know, if 
if you can do that and still be really excited about what you're writing, then, you know, that's uh, that's so important. You know, I, I've got to feel like when I sit down that I really want to do it and I'm mm. really excited about the story and I think it shows, you know, it comes across to the readership. And I always say to kids, you know, if you're bored when you're writing your story, well, don't expect the reader to be any less bored than you are because, it's, you know, if it's not grabbing you, then it's not going to grab anybody else. And so for me, I don't know, I just feel really fortunate that I've not lost any enthusiasm for the characters. And, you know, even now people ask me, oh, when is there more Clementine Rose coming? And, you know, I've, I've sort of put that, I've, I've stopped Clementine Rose, but then someone said to me the other day, but you gave her a baby sister who is actually named after a big child. And uh, Ooh, yes. so, <laughs> Clara, yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've given her a baby sister. Why can't we have more stories? And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, maybe there could be another series about Clara. Yes, oh, there definitely that. needs to be. Yes. Yeah, I, I think your Clara would be quite excited about that. I think. Oh, she would think it was all about her. There's no doubt about it. There's no question. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've never lost my enthusiasm for writing and I hope that I never do. I love it. Well, it doesn't seem like you can with all those books coming out. So it's a good thing you have that enthusiasm because you're going to need it. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's right. That's true, yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you, Jacqueline. It's fantastic to hear about all everything you're up to. Uh, so many so many hats to, to wear. But uh, most importantly, the most recent, uh, obviously, incredible project that you've we've been working on and you've been promoting relentlessly is Willa and Wolf and um, we love it and my girls love it. So congratulations and I can't wait for the next one and the next one and the grandparents on hire and then the next yes. 60 million you've got coming out. Hopefully they'll keep going for a long time. So, but thank you very much uh, for having me and uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you. Thanks Jacqueline.